everybody. This is Chris. And Kathy. We wanted to take a minute to thank you all for tuning in. We appreciate every listener and are grateful for this platform. Please help us share our vision by subscribing to our show through your favorite streaming app. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at Petability Podcast. Check out our ever-growing list of affiliates and sponsors. Simply go to the show notes for information and links. And be sure to use our promo code PETPOD22, that's P-E-T-P-O-D-2-2, on checkout to receive your discount from our affiliates. And now, here's a word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Alon Landa, CEO of MedcoVet, and I'm a proud sponsor of PetAbility. We decided to partner with Chris and Kathy because, like them, we want to empower all pet owners who are trying to do the most for their pets. At MedcoVet, we specialize in advanced home laser therapy for pets. Laser therapy is a safe and effective treatment for common conditions like arthritis and wounds, and it relieves pain for most conditions caused by inflammation. With MedcoVet, pet owners can perform this treatment at home while receiving support from experienced clinicians. If you think your pet would benefit from healing at home, visit MedcoVet.com, and one of our clinical experts will work with you to determine if home laser therapy is the right fit for you and your pet. Tell them PetAbility sent you. Welcome to PetAbility. I'm your host, Kathy Simon, Certified Veterinary Technician and Certified Canine Rehabilitation Practitioner. And I'm your host, Chris Cranston, Licensed Physical Therapist and Small Animal Physical Rehabilitationist. Our podcast provides interviews and information to help your pets live their best lives. Hey, Kathy, what's up today? Hey, Chris, it's a fantastic day here today. Um, although it's like 15 degrees outside. <laughs> and getting progressively colder. Yes, yes, so yes. We have that welcome. to look forward to here in New England. Welcome to New England. Yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to just jump right in because, you know, I think we've talked about that one of the reasons, or at least I've mentioned in the past, that one of the reasons that I became a physical therapist versus like another area of science or a different part of healthcare is that I really wanted to develop a rapport with my patients, you know, like a real connection. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was fulfilled as a physical therapist, but an even deeper bond has developed when, when I pivoted to treating animals with physical rehabilitation. You know, it was quite natural to grow close when we share the mutual goal of helping their pet, but also empowering them as, as the pet's owner to help their best friend. So it, I've just loved this facet of, of my professional career. And as I examine the relationships in my life, many of which have spanned over a decade, most of my close friends are actually, they actually started as clients. And if I'm to predict the future, I think this will be true with our next guest. So this is the first time that you and I have had one of our own clients on the show. Today, we're going to be delving into Phoebe's journey with her dog, Hugo. Hugo is a 12-year-old mixed breed. He's a pity boxer coonhound who was rescued in pretty rough shape by Phoebe later in Hugo's life. Little did she know that a few years later, he would be diagnosed with a progressive disease called degenerative myelopathy, or DM for short. Now, this disease causes progressive paralysis, much like ALS or amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, or Lou Gehrig's disease in people. And this is a disease that renowned physicist 
Stephen Hawking had. And if you remember, his mind was brilliant to the end, but his body right. failed him. So there's no cure, unfortunately. As the messages are lost, when they travel along the spinal cord, they affect voluntary motor control first. The cause is still unknown, but there seems to be a genetic component. And when I started this field 20 years ago, it was called the German Shepherd disease due to its high prevalence in German Shepherds. But now we know it is much more widespread and does seem to have a breed disposition due to this genetic mutation. Typically, the disease manifests as progressive weakness, but a silver lining, if there can be a silver lining, is that the disease is not painful. So today, I want to welcome Phoebe Hart and Hugo to the show to share their journey, how Hugo's diagnosis has impacted their lives together, and the reality of day-to-day -day challenges they face, a true owner's perspective. Welcome, Phoebe and Hugo. I'd like to welcome Phoebe to the show as well. What I'd also like to do to let the audience know is that they have no idea how handsome Hugo is. He's stunning, stunningly handsome. If you're listening to the show and you're an owner that has a dog with degenerative myelopathy, you're a warrior. So please welcome Phoebe Hart to the show. Thank you, guys. That was quite the intro. I feel so honored to be here. We really appreciate you being here because, you know, we talked about this and we think it's just really important, you know. DM, degenerative myelopathy, like a lot of other dog diagnoses, owners don't think about it until their dog gets it. And so part of the mission of our show is to educate people out there so, you know, maybe they know what to look for and how they can adapt if their pet happens to be diagnosed and, you know, how quality of life can be preserved. So even though this it's probably in many ways going to be a little bit of a tough conversation. Um, we all agreed that this content was really important to get out there. So Phoebe, why don't you start out, um, give us a brief history of Hugo. Um, when did you get him? How did you get him? All that good stuff. I've been wanting to adopt a dog for a while and I, I grew up with pets, a menagerie of different types. And funny that you mentioned how handsome he is, Kathy, because he I saw him on Instagram, I think. And I would just like keep checking back in for about a month. And then I finally worked up some courage and he was still there, thankfully, and took him home that day. When I got him, he had mast cell, he had two surgical wounds from mast cell tumor removals. He was, his entire neck was raw and filled with uh, sores from being on a chain and he was covering his own feces and wouldn't stop. He was like inconsolably screaming. And I was like, this is my guy. Do you know any about anything about his story before you adopted him or how he got to the MSPCA? Yes, he was. He didn't have a great home life before me. And um, he was kept on a chain outside uh, and he was not exposed to other dogs or anything. He was actually bought from like, I think he was a Southern guy with the coonhound in him. And he was bought to be a uh, security dog, which uh, once you get to know Hugo, you would find very quickly that would not be good to um, And then one of his owners died and the owner's husband drove him off and dumped him on the side of the road. And he got picked up two days later as a stray in October. So, and then I got him uh, end of November. Yeah. How old do you think he was, Phoebe, at that time? They estimated around nine. In, in speaking of age, DM is typically a Flicks dogs that are middle to middle age to older. So I think uh, four to 14, that's quite a, quite a span, but it's not something that you would typically see in a very 
young dog. So he certainly uh, fit that that diagnostic bill. Phoebe, can you tell us a little bit about your life together uh, before Hugo was diagnosed with DM? What were you guys doing? Were you very active? Were you hiking, walking, any anything like that? You know, I always wanted to adopt a senior dog for, you know, a little couch potato. And I thought I was doing that and got the opposite. Uh, Hugo can cruise or he used to be able to cruise like six miles a day to get his uh, get his energy out. He was just like, I was like, this is a puppy. I swear. Um, <laughs> so very active, loves to go on walks. Love, like, And my professional career has always involved kind of the marine industry and being on the water. Um, and being on boats and everything. And, you know, I hilariously thought, you know, swimming would be a big part of his exercise and found out he can't swim. Oh, you go. Yeah. He needs the heads up pets water collar. Okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about that after. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. But very active, but good, you know, work-life balance. I could go to work. I would come home. I think the first couple of months he was still really decompressing. And then we hit probably about uh, eight months in and his separation anxiety started presenting itself. And then we actually sought out a behaviorist because, you know, I come home and like half my door frame would be chewed. Um, so we did some work with that, which was really great. Like I learned a lot in, in terms of what it means to rescue a dog that has potential abuse in its um, history and background. That was all great and learned a lot. And, you know, we're learning from each other and it kind of, you know, normal dog owner, Havoc. You talk about, you know, like you're learning from each other. And, and you know, when I think about the, the dogs that I've worked with over the last 20 years, I think dogs with degenerative myelopathy, and unfortunately, I've seen quite a few of them have taught me so much as a professional as well. So, you know, that's why let's, let's kind of get into that now. Let's fast forward. So what about three years or so after you adopted him. It was about a year and a half ago, I think. You started yeah. seeing some signs. So, so you know, take us up to that point and, and what made you, you know, delve into. Yeah, I get home from work. We had a, a great little routine. I get home from work and we go on a nice neighborhood walk and, you know, both, both decompress. And I started noticing he his, his hind legs were crossing over a little bit. I wasn't, you know, like I was just kind of, keeping an eye on it and watching. I was like, that's a little weird. Uh, and then he started, when he'd list, lift his leg to pee, I'd noticed he would sometimes kind of stumble and like like very small little, like just like trips and stumbles uh, and just like leg crossing. Nothing major, but it was definitely abnormal. And I remember actually uh, talking to my sister-in-law and I was speaking to her about it and she was just like, Dude, if you're worried, if you think something's wrong, like you're his dog mom, get it checked out, go with your gut and, and took him to the ER and they were like, what are you here for? And I was like, I don't really know. They first started go thinking it was a GI issue. Like he potentially had a blockage and, um, eventually ruled that out and, uh, they referred us to a neurologist. And that's when I started realizing that this is something more than Nothing, I guess. And it can be difficult in the beginning too, Phoebe. I mean, sometimes the subtlety of DM starts with just a little bit of uh, toenail scraping or just a little bit of, like you said, the legs crossing. And sometimes you're like, did I just see that? And degenerative myelopathy is tough because it's a diagnosis of ruling out all these other things. And then we come to the conclusion that it's it's degenerative myelopathy. Which is, so you have to like, essentially, 
rule everything out, which is a lot of testing and kind of, you know, scans. That's just a, a bit of a process. Yeah. Yeah. Very time consuming and very expensive. And, you know, Kathy and I always say that we're very fortunate to live here in on the East Coast in the Boston area where we have access to a lot of specialists and so forth that that can help us navigate these things. But, um, you know, for, for those of you out there, you know, some of the, just to reiterate some of the early signs to look for, which could again be other things, but it would be like Kathy mentioned the toenail scraping. One thing we didn't say is knuckling. And that's when the dog will stand on the top of its paws. So with DM, it starts in the hind legs, but with other neurological diseases and injuries and so forth. It could be front legs, back legs, one side, one leg, but knuckling is always something to, to look for. And if you see that in your dog to, to get attention immediately, talked a little bit about loss of balance. Like you said, when he was lifting his leg to go to the bathroom, but it can even be as subtle as just swaying when they're standing still. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, you might be standing there on the street talking to a friend and, and you'll notice like your dog's hind end kind of swaying back and forth. That's a very early sign of what we call ataxia. So that's kind of a hallmark of, of DM as well. And then as it progresses and they're, they're getting a little weaker, they can have problems with some functional things. Like you might notice it just it's taking them a little bit longer to get up from the floor you know, when they're laying down or sitting, or maybe they miss that jump when they're getting into the car or onto the sofa. But like we said before, it could be a lot of other things. It could be a progression of arthritis or, you know, like in your case, Phoebe, they were thinking he, he had a medical condition, you know, some GI thing that could affect him physically. So really, really important to, to seek out your veterinarian and a specialist if, if indicated. One of the very early signs I could hear the knuckling, or not necessarily the knuckling, but the scuffing of his nails on the sidewalk. And it became such a noticeably audible thing that it, it turned into a symptom because I was like, why are you? And that to the point where he was grinding his nails and then one of them, he quit and it was bleeding. I was like, this is, so that was another big kind of signal mm -hmm. that something was actually not right. We needed to get, mm -hmm. get him checked out. So Phoebe, what was your reaction when you got the diagnosis of degenerative myelopathy? Uh, we went to, we got referred to Angel Memorial and we had a great neurologist and she watched him walk down a hall within 20 minutes of us getting there and said, yep, something neurological is going on. She wrote three things on a whiteboard. I forget the other two, but the last one was degenerative myelopathy and I was devastated when I saw it. You know, Did you just, know like, what it meant? Like, I, the only reason I, I had known what it was, was because I did one of those Embark genetic tests because I wanted to see what mix he goes. And it came back with like a little red flag for degenerative myelopathy that he mm. might have it or he might, or he has the um, genetic precursor for it. Huh. When we first started in rehabilitation, like Chris said, most of the time you would see these dogs get referred to you and they were almost always German shepherds. And, or Pembroke uh, corgis who were diagnosed with degenerative myelopathy. But now we know that, that any breed can develop degenerative myelopathy. Well, I was going to say just a little uh, lesson about the genetics here. It's a mutation in a particular gene. And we're fortunate now that we have these various DNA tests at our disposal, and they're becoming more accurate in terms of determining your pet's 
breed and, and mix of breeds, but uh, just like 23andMe and Ancestry and, and those types of things for people, it also can alert us to, you know, various healthcare issues. So this gene, it can either be not present on both, I think the male and female side or something like that. They can have one marker, which means that the pet is a carrier, or they can have two genetic markers. Now, if they have two, it doesn't necessarily mean that that dog is going to get DM, but they're more likely to. So if your dog doesn't have the markers at all or only has one, they're not going to get it. They have to have two to get it. But if they have two, it doesn't mean that they absolutely will. He had both. His vet at that time, you know, said very similarly to what you just described as, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean he's going to get it, but we'll just, you know, keep it on the back burner and cross that bridge if it arises. And so I did know of the disease, but I really didn't really forgot about it until it was, you know, appeared on that whiteboard again. And I just, yeah, I felt my heart just sink and I was like, oh, no, no. And Phoebe, the thing that you did, I think that was the smartest, greatest thing that you could have done was assemble the greatest team of people you could gather to be on Team Hugo. And I'm really interested to hear about that and how you got the how you got everybody on the team together and how they work together. Because I have another client who's got a, a dog who's a progressive neurologic disease. And the reason that this dog and your dog has done so well is because of the management of this disease with the team members that you have. And I'm seeing dogs live longer and better lives with DM than I did 15 years ago. So tell me how you assembled the greatest team of all time. Honestly, I, I, can't, I can't believe how lucky I am. And like, if I were to put Hugo's care team uh, in a, you know, a battle against the Avengers, I would bet on Hugo's care team. They're that good and they're that amazing. And we're just so lucky, you know, to have these resources and have all these amazing people that are as enthusiastic and care as much about Hugo as I do. And I think, you know, when you get such a gnarly diagnosis, like degenerative myelopathy, you like, you know, first you panic, uh, but then you got to kind of channel that panic into kind of process and do your due diligence. You know, they told me, they gave me a few like cliff notes at the neurologist. They were like, if you can't, you can't stop it, but you can slow it down. So, you know, that led to researching how to slow it down. The best way was physical therapy. And Mighty Morphin Chris Cranston came into the picture very, very quickly. And, you know, it, the team grew from there with, you know, everybody's connections, Sleepy Dog, Healing with Sam. I, it's just, it's mind-blowing the, the treatment and care that Hugo has gotten and received and continues to get and how much more enriched his life is even like pre-diagnosis, like he's living his best life because of his care team. And can you describe a little bit about what each team member does? Like what is, what do you do at Sleepy Dog Veterinary Clinic? Are you, is he getting chiropractic or Chinese herbs? And what is, you know, what is Sam Hankey doing? We, we interviewed Sam not that long ago about how she does Reiki and massage and Twina. So are the, is that what's going on with Hugo? Are they incorporating all those things for his treatment plan? Yep. Um, so we see Dr. Beth Innes and Dr. Steiner at Sleepy Dog for kind of his primary care, veterinary care, as well as chiropractic work, acupuncture, acupressure, laser, moxa, 
everything <laughs> and herbal supplements to um, like help with kind of the compensatory issues and, uh, you know, everything that's kind of coming parallel with taking care of him. It's incredible. And um, we go to Healing with Sam once a week now for um, energy work, massage, uh, Reiki and communication. And that has just been such an integral part of checking in with Hugo, understanding like where he's feeling uh, pain, where his frustrations are and like how to work through it, how to like assist with, you know, not only the day-to-day stuff, but all the underlying frustrations with, you know, the, the fact that he's dealing and trying to figure out how to move his body and, you know, why he doesn't understand why his legs don't work anymore. And then we got Chris and him wrestling every other week and it is like WWE in the best way, you know? <laughs> I'm from Iowa and we can, we know how to wrestle. No, we, we do a lot of things. I have a mobile practice at this point in my career. So I go to Phoebe and Hugo's home and, you know, we do a lot of exercise to maintain his function, mobility, strength, retain muscle mass, which he has done a fantastic job. He's still got a booty on him. <laughs> and we do hands-on, and that's usually where the wrestling comes in, especially if there's a nail trim involved. But Phoebe, we also, you and I, talk a lot about, you know, where is Hugo now and what we can do in that session, but also what you can do at home between visits and then, you know, going into the future. Like, well, there might come a day when you'll you're going to need this and also providing equipment for you to use at home and so forth. And I thank you for your props, but I also want to mention that he goes to a uh, a facility where he was receiving hydrotherapy for a, a long time in terms of an underwater treadmill and is also doing land-based exercises and hands-on and so forth. Phoebe mentioned something, Chris, that I think is important to talk about. We, we want to focus on the, you know, the fact that he has this neurologic disease, but also the tremendous amount of compensatory related stuff that happens with DM, your muscles, tendons, ligaments, bone. And so incorporating this team, we're addressing everything here. We're addressing his physical body, his physical needs, and his mental needs and his emotional life. And assembling that team was key key to meeting the needs physically and mentally for him. Yeah, absolutely. And Chris has been so helpful with, you know, teaching me there are other ways to um, enrich Hugo that aren't necessarily involving a ton of physical activity. And the creative problem solving and the strategies that we as a team, I think, have built to keep Hugo like happy and healthy and stimulated has just been such a tremendous like uh, improvement on his overall health in so many different ways. And it's been really, really cool to to see something change and instead of um, you know getting upset or frustrated with the progress of the disease. Uh, just to pivot and change it up and, you know, have fun doing something else or engage something else and just be creative and have fun with it, which is something I did not envision. And I've been told uh, by several owners of dogs that have degenerative myelopathy that the most difficult part, honestly, is going through, through each stage. So 
you know, when you start off and your dog is knuckling, you, you panic and, but then you learn to live with it and that's your new normal. We'll get them a boot, right? But then they need uh, more care. Maybe they need slings or harnesses. And now you've reached another level, another level in the disease. And emotionally, you have to come to the point where you're like, okay, this has progressed a little bit, but this is our new normal. Now we have a help them up harness and now we have a sling. And then, you know, your dog has some more progression and maybe you go to a wheelchair. And so each level of stages is, a, is finding your new normal. And I find that for clients going through the stages, I think is the hardest, one of the hardest parts. Yeah, absolutely. And finding that new normal and, you know, not letting that, that initial uh, new stage development kind of like consume you and drop you back down into like, oh my God, it's getting worse. Like it, there's just has to be, you know, a, a grander understanding that even if this new stage has, and, you know, it's physical deterioration, but there are other ways to, you know, look at your pet and be like, okay, so your legs don't work, but you love playing with this like snuffball thing where you get to knock it around and then you sleep for three hours because you're so exhausted from that enrichment and mm -hmm. noticeable progressions happen and you have to get to that new normal mindset is looking at your pet, paying attention to them. You know, for me, it's looking at Hugo and seeing his you know, spunky attitude, bees in his bonnet, ready to go, doesn't care that his booty doesn't really work anymore. He wants to charge and, you know, keeping their, like, let their attitude kind of be your guide and keep you positive because they're still happy as a clam. They're still wanting to keep going. So should you. And he's, he serves as the inspiration for all of this. I love that. Let your dog lead you. Let your dog's yeah. emotions lead you. In the very beginning, you you said, you know, your initial life with Hugo, you know, he was very active, more than you expected. And it would take you, you know, hours and miles and miles of exercise to to not only wear him out, but I think also address some of his anxiety that that he came with. And, you know, you, we talked about with the progressive loss of mobility that his anxiety is actually increased. But as you said, arming yourself with other tools. It's just different. It's not necessarily worse. It's just different. So now how do you wear him out? Not so much physically, but through mental engagement and problem solving and all those things that, that you've done. And on your own, you were very creative because as he lost mobility, I remember you showed me how you kind of barricaded, you created some barriers for his toys that he was knocking around. So they didn't go flying across the room and he couldn't get to them, causing more frustration. So, you know, you're you're very much problem solving in the moment too. You know, oh, let's roll up some blankets and, you know, put it around here so he can always get to it. And it it's twofold because as Kathy said, it's it's mental, I guess threefold, emotional and physical exercise. Hey Chris, I'd like to take a little break right here if you don't mind to uh, mention our affiliates. Dr. Busby's Toe Grips, a dog's best life box.com, and our friends at Heads Up Pets Water Collar. For information and links, simply go to our show notes. Remember to use the promo code PETPOD22 at checkout. That's P E T P O D 22, all capital letters, to receive your 10% discount on orders. Before we move on from the team, let's talk about Dog Walker Dan, because I remember as Hugo started uh, losing some of his ability to walk and you asked Dr. Beth, should I continue hiring his dog walker and having his dog walker come in, you know, a, a couple times a day? And what was her answer? You said, absolutely. And I 
was so relieved to hear that. And she pointed out, you know, Dan may not be, you know, walking Hugo as far as they normally do, might be out of his comfort level, but it is part of Hugo's routine. And it is so important to continue that and have them, you know, have this time together and keep that structure as well as give me two half hour sanity breaks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. yeah, I was really very grateful for that advice because it was one of those things that I was just racking my brain. Like, cause I, I ended up quitting my, or taking a sabbatical, I should say for my job. And I was like, well, why am I paying for a dog walker? If I'm here all the time, I can do it. And she's like, for sanity's sake. And your own emotional health, keep the dog walker. I think that it's important for owners to know that they do need a break and you can experience as a caregiver, caregiver fatigue or care or compassion fatigue. And maybe we only think of that in the sense of a person taking care of maybe another sick person, but that's not true. It can happen across the board. You, you can experience compassion fatigue because you're constantly uh, on. You have to get him in his wheelchair. You have to clean him. You have to bathe him. You have to take him out. You're responsible for so many things. And you guys have a system, right? And not anybody can just jump in on that system. So I think owners are surprised to understand that they are experiencing some fatigue or compassion fatigue. I had a client, and I know this seems silly, but a client who had a, a very old dove, and she was very old. Her mother was just like, I feel so bad. I can't do this and I can't do that. And I'm so exhausted. And she's around the clock with the medications and stuff. And I said, you're burnt out. She said, how could that be? I said, because you're caregiving. I know she's a dove, but you're caregiving around the clock. And she was surprised to hear that. Are you saying dove as in a bird? Yes, a dove, a little dove. <laughs> I know. And all it, of a sudden you had like some, some list no, or something and you were saying, no, no like dog, it, but no. sounds like... It was a little dove and and she required a tremendous amount of around the clock care and her mother was amazing at it. But because she required this, she didn't go on vacations. She didn't go to the movies. She didn't go out to dinner with friends. Friends were angry with her because they didn't understand why she could maybe go out to dinner, but not dinner and a movie. And so she lost a, a part of her social life. She lost a little bit of her you know, social support. And that was a burnout for her. And so it was important for me to say, get yourself a dove pet sitter <laughs> and go out to dinner with your friends uh, because you need it. You have to have it. Give, giving yourself that permission because right. you can only be as good for your, your pet as you feel. And, you know, I think it's interesting that, that the word is fatigue because like in Hugo's case, it is physically exhausting. Phoebe is fortunate on many levels. You know, she she was able to to take time off from work. Um, she has, you know, family and friends and resources around her, but also she's very physically fit and able. And Hugo's not a small cookie, you know. There's all kinds of we have video and and pictures of him on on Instagram and such, and and be looking for that going forward as well. But well, how much does he weigh, Phoebe? He's weighing in around 65 pounds these days. Yeah. Yeah. And when, and it's like a sack of potatoes because when oh, they yeah. can't help themselves, you know, as the disease progresses, then, you know, you're taking all of that. And Phoebe lives on the third floor of a, of a building, a cool historical building, but the elevator went out. And, you know, that's one of those times where it's like an oh shit moment because, oh. you know, she had to haul him up and down 
several flights of stairs. And so I think sometimes we think about the physical fatigue, but, you know, in this case, there's also that emotional fatigue, that compassion fatigue that Kathy mentioned. And, you know, when you're feeling these things, sometimes I think that we're afraid to to voice them because it shows, you know, maybe a sign of, of weakness or, you know, that we shouldn't be feeling this way. I mean, there can even be resentment uh, created, you know, with your pet because of, of the things that you're dealing with. But I do think it's important to to talk to other people and talk to your care team and so forth because they can help to reframe it and make you realize that, oh, this is normal. Hmm. This is okay. And this is what I need to do to help myself to help my pet. Got to take care of yourself so that you can take care of them. And I think you can get tunnel vision when, you know, it's this severe, you know, regimented caretaking, you know, he's on medications that he's required to do like three, three times daily. And it's, I definitely, you know, falling into some of the more um, severe stages and progressions of this disease. I, I've certainly found myself feeling definitely isolated, frustrated, and totally feeling those resentments. So Phoebe, I am privy to the fact that you have acquired a lot of uh, accoutrements for Hugo, um, bling over time, in terms of things that he has needed to help him to function best and also maybe prevent some injuries and things like that. Can you kind of go through a a progression of, of the equipment and things that he's acquired over this last year and a half? The amount of stuff that is out there to help you and to assist you and and your pet is incredible. And that in and of itself provided such a level of kind of safety and like anxiety quelling. But some of the really uh, important ones for us have been uh, the help him up harness. You know, first we started with just the front part. And as his booty started dropping more and more, we attached the the hind harness portion of that. And it turned him into this uh, very maneuverable suitcase, which has been a savior for both of our spinal columns, for sure. I love the help him up harness, you know, kudos to um, Lindsay and Carrie at um, the help him up harness. I think it's blue dog harness. They they really came through with this wonderful product. It's incredible. And I, uh, I think Chris, Dr. Beth and Sam all gave me really great tips and tricks on how to use it. And introducing um, the hind part because, you know, most dogs aren't used to having, you know, straps around their hips and, a, a you know, a, a handle on their um, hip bones and introducing that before he necessarily needed it to get him familiar was, you know, was really helpful advice. So on top of getting all these um, things, I'm also getting really helpful advice and learning along the way on how to utilize them. And also and co- accommodating his his male anatomy with the help oh, of yeah. So, I mean, it's important. This is, well, this is a serious thing because male dogs provide a particular challenge when you're using a, a typical sling, for example. You know, you, you take them out, you need to provide some support, but the sling would typically cover their penis. And so then they can't urinate. And that's exactly when you need it. So, so there are two types of help them up. And, and we got Hugo in the right one that allows him to to both urinate and defecate without a problem in the harness. You made a really important comment there about him, his penis being crushed in the harness. And maybe people don't think about it. 
but there's a bone there. And if you have a harness that pushes up against it or occludes it, not only is it, not only can you not urinate, but it's painful. And, and you know what, Chris, you know, just speaking of dog penises in general, you know, you've got to look when you're getting a harness, whether your dog's penis is forward or back. And that's going to help you determine what kind of harness you're going to want. And is it a pendulous penis? Does it have testicles? Do they have testicles? Testicles is a very important question when fitting a cart. So there are different types of saddles that accommodate male and female anatomy with a mobility cart. Right. And that's why I love Eddie's wheels so much because they make the version of male and female welded seats. I just want to say, too, that um, if I had to ask you, Phoebe, how many booties gone through in the last year and a half, what would be your guess? Well over, I'd, I'd say we're definitely close to 100. So again, just, just talking about, you know, getting, having those, right? They're wearing out. You have to make sure you order more, taking the time to do that. And Phoebe would use shoe goo, duct tape, stitch, you know, whatever she had to do to keep said booties in as good a shape as she could for as long as she could. Because this stuff is expensive. Oh, we're booty connoisseurs, you know. We've, yes, we've yes. Tried them all. Exactly. And and sometimes it is trial and error, but you're hopefully a, a veterinary professional can can help you steer you in the right direction. Uh, we interviewed Alaria at Vital Vet, and they have you know a plethora of resources, um, including you know with different types of booties and so forth. Um, and we'll put that in our show notes. You know, in the very early stages, I think that traction. Kathy and I are a fan of, of traction. That was imperative, and it still is. Your floors are covered with carpets and yoga mats and and different things to not only protect his skin, but, you know, when he was now, I should say, now it's more to protect his skin and so forth, but in the early days so that he could ambulate uh, independently. It's been such a really amazing learning curve. But, yeah, also the mats, um, traction mats, also we got these sticky pads that they stick to the bottom of his paws and they adhere to his pads on the bottom and they have almost like a sandpaperish kind of grip. So that was really helpful. Only inside, they peel off immediately outside, but you know, on hardwood floors and you know, when we go to friends' houses for dinner and stuff, I'm not gonna schlep up a bunch of um, my Ocean State job lot mats. The stuff that's out there is just incredible. Yeah. I think those are called sticky paws. And, and unfortunately, um, Hugo was not a candidate for toe grips. We didn't get those, I think, on him in time and he was already knuckling so they wouldn't stay on. You know, so there is a, some of these tools work best if used at an appropriate time. Mm -hmm. Uh, We used the pause booties for a while, then he needed, uh, which are the balloon type, aid in traction and protection, but then he needed a little bit more protection, heavier booty, if you will. But then you have to balance the weight of the of the shoe with his strength. So it's heavier, so it's more protective because he's dragging more and knuckling more. So he needs that protection. But at the same time, with increased bulk, you typically have increased weight and he's getting weaker. So, you know, how do you balance that? And then we progress to a dorsiflex assist, which essentially uses some elastic component on a booty to keep his toes up and prevent him from knuckling. So that's a whole thing. We used, it's called a Bico, B-I-K-O, but I kind of make my own version using TheraBands where we use a, an elastic from 
the booty up to his harness in the front and or the cart to help to advance his legs forward if they were kind of getting left behind as he ambulated, again, either in the harness or the cart. So for that neuromuscular education and keeping those pathways as patent as possible, you know, using that kind of assistance. But your dog has to be able to be able to uh, flex their knee to be able to use some of these devices like the dorsiflex. There's a sweet spot for all of these products. And so they may be useful at certain stages of the dog's condition, but then there becomes a point where the dog loses that function or the ability to flex their knee and to be able to use that boot. And then you're looking at more options. You have to look at more options or thicker boots or, you know, stirrups for your wheelchair, things like that. But the important takeaway from that is that there are more options. So don't get discouraged when something starts, you know, not working or they're, you know, in Hugo's case, he was burning through booties. Like when he was still independent without using his cart, we were blowing through booties so fast. And I was like, oh, and then Chris introduced us to um, the Dorso Flex that booty that corrected his footing position. And that was a game changer. And God, when we put him in his cart and those things, he took off. It was, it was incredible. So, you know, even when you hit these um, progression kind of milestones that, you know, can be discouraging, just like, it's so important to remember that there's ways to pivot and new strategies and new things to try. And I'll tell you, it's almost always the owner too. The owners are the ones that come up with these adaptations oftentimes, and they're brilliant and necessary. <laughs> so oftentimes it's the owner coming up with these fantastic ideas and it's always changing. You know, some of the other things that you've acquired over time, um, you know, we've, we've used certainly physical rehab equipment, you know, uh, different types of balance devices, uh, inflatable discs, BOSUs, balls, uh, physio rolls or peanuts, steps, ramps, but then also talking about things, you know, as it's progressed to, you know, appropriate bedding. Hugo does love to snuggle and burrow and so forth, but I did talk to Phoebe about if he's trying to move and he's buried in all of these uh, covers and he's sinking down in a really soft bed, that's going to be more challenging, you know? So, you know, maybe getting an alternative bed that's a little firmer and flatter and that he can move around um, in different situations. And then she's acquired pee pads and mats and things. The disease can progress such that the dog becomes incontinent. Hugo is not, but he does some angry peeing at times with his separation anxiety. And it, it has become more of a retention issue, meaning that he is not able to avoid his bladder. And this has resulted in urinary tract infections and the need for Phoebe and other caregivers to, to have to express his bladder. And it's very, very hard to not have uh, urine remain there and then develop a urinary tract infection. So he has been dealing with that for a while right, Phoebe? Yeah. And with the expressing, I've, I've learned to uh, angle it and get some good pressure. It's, it's really funny. You can make a game out of it. Uh, and also Orvis makes um, an incredible pee-proof blanket that doesn't feel like a pee-proof blanket or a pee pad or anything. It's just a blanket that if he pees on it, it absorbs it. I throw it in the wash. No problem. No stink. It's awesome. Highly recommend. Do you use diapers for Hugo at all? He's got a couple belly bands and... We use them situationally because he's not leaky yet. He still likes the idea that he has control over his own bladder. So he won't give me, you know, full power. But like, say, like I'm running errands and I go into the grocery store or say, I, you know, meet a friend at a restaurant and he's in the car. I, I throw a, a band on him just, just to catch whatever 
spite he wants to spew that that hour. So <laughs> angry peeing. Exactly. Angry peeing. It makes me think of something important in in that dogs that have DM that do leak or don't have bladder control that get urine on them. And skin care for these dogs is huge. We cannot let urine sit on the dog. It will turn into um, urine burns, urine scalding. And so skin care is really important. So these dogs are often, sometimes I'll use a waterless shampoo and just clean them up periodically because we can't let it sit there. And so that becomes sort of another level of care here, checking the area. If you have a female dog, you've got to really check their folds. For male dogs, you want to check their bellies and their inguinal area because that's where urine might sit. And that will cause a rash. And tip, and then that rash will actually turn into what we call urine scalding. And now you have another problem. Yep. Well, and, and Hugo has very sensitive skin. He he has very thin, uh, short fur and essentially like a bare belly. And so he has been susceptible to a lot of things like that, even rubbing from the various pieces of equipment and devices that we've described. And so Phoebe sewed some very soft micro fleece on his help him up harness to to give extra protection like in his groin area and as it wraps around his legs and things so again you mentioned in the beginning Kathy that that anybody that that cares for their dogs with DM or to this level in any circumstance really amazing warriors these people have a lot of inner strength i think hugo came with a heart issue or you discovered that he had a heart issue shortly after you got him i just think it's really really important that we emphasize because Phoebe mentioned tunnel vision earlier. And I think that oftentimes when a dog has a diagnosis like this and you're seeking that care on a regular basis and you're seeing, you know, the the physical rehabilitationist, you know, every week or two and the other members of the care team, you're so hyper-focused on this disease that we cannot forget to address basic medical needs. And it's also hard to remember, you know, he's not a young guy and he is getting older. And just like any any animal or human that ages, you know, these medical complications get more complicated and more common. And, you know, that's just a normal part of aging that I don't think we do as a society a very good job of kind of like understanding and uh, accepting that kind of growth and progression in, in like life itself. And important to just like, you know, take the bigger picture and remember that, you know, like, yes, he does have this, you know, devastating degenerative neurological disease, but, you know, he's an, he's an aging guy who's living a crazy life. And because of that, he's, he's got other stuff going on that we got to keep eyes on and keep, keep taking care of, but, you know, try our best not to freak out and just, you know, savor every part of it and keep everybody and, you know, just me and him happy and healthy as long as possible. Phoebe, have you been approached by strangers or neighbors or people who have said, Oh, that poor dog. Oh, look, that poor dog. And if you have, what it, what would your response be? I mean, if we see a dog outside walking in a wheelchair, like Chris and I would be like, yeah. But some people are like, they have to come up and give you their unsolicited opinion about that. What what would be your answer to that if somebody came up and said, oh, that poor guy? Oh, yeah. I've I've been approached by all of it. I have people that come up to him and be like, you should have put him down. Like you're torturing him for selfish reasons. I'm like, okay, well, thankfully I have, you know, an animal communicator that tells me that he's still happy and he's doing great. And you know, I have all these professionals checking in on him and as, and I can look at him and understand him and see in his own and our lives together that he is happy, healthy, and he wants to keep going. And I'm happy to keep, keep going as long as he wants to, when he wants to call it quits. Okay. But until then, 
I experienced this quite a bit when I had my last dog, Digger, because he was blind and he had his little vest on and said, I'm blind. And I didn't let people approach him and pat him and stuff. And I, there were a few people that would come and go, oh, that poor dog. And I think my answer was usually, well, if you knew me, then you would know not to feel sorry for this dog. And if you knew Phoebe, you would know not to feel sorry for Hugo. I do my best to try to make it an educational thing and say, listen, this is what's going on and my dog isn't suffering. Uh, but sometimes I just have to walk away. And so if you see people out there doing the best with their dog in a wheelchair and you don't have anything kind to say, just keep it to yourself. 100%. And I mean, I suppose it depends on how they approach you. And if they approach you with curiosity and enthusiasm, I'm all for talking to them about what's going on. Because it is so important to get this information out there and let people know that. Because DM, I found out, is actually not that uncommon. And one of Hugo and I's first wheel training, I like to call them his driver's ed sessions. We ran into a guy who had ALS and he was in a wheelchair and him and his friend were out for a walk. Hugo and I walked by him and he and Hugo like gave each other these hilarious head nods and he was like, what's he got? Something, is it neurological? And I was like, yeah, how'd you know that? And then he was like, how do you think I knew that? And I was like, fair enough. And it was just like this really cool interaction and... Hugo then proceeded to barrel roll into a bush. And <laughs> I, I remember a, a point, Phoebe, when we were in your parking garage and, you know, getting his his exercise equipment out of my car and so forth and proceeding toward the elevator. And one of your neighbors was coming towards us and, and he said something like, oh, you know, poor Hugo, you know, he's so lucky to have you. And you just very chipperly said, well, he's my best friend. Just like, <laughs> well, of course, I mean, I'm going to do this. You know, it's it's not a, a choice. He's my best friend and I'm going to do whatever I need to do to, you know, keep him happy and healthy. And I was just like, enough said. You know, I thought that was just perfect. You know, we're talking about like the impression that people have when they see you. Have other dogs responded differently to Hugo than they have in the past now that he is is differently abled? Yes, absolutely. Especially when we're in his cart, which is understandable. You know, it's a, it's foreign looking and... He moves differently. He can't, you know, do the do the behaviors and the natural kind of behaviors that, you know, dog socializing and interacting looks like. But he I mean, he gets around, but it, it can be a little over overstimulating and for other dogs, he's he's fine. So Phoebe, as we're starting to wrap things up, can you give us just a quick snapshot of what things look like today? What a day in the life of, of you and Hugo is at this point in time? Like just this morning, you know, I had an, a doctor's appointment and left him with uh, my mom and my sister. And I was feeling so zen after my appointment, come downstairs and, you know, he's, uh, my sister's out on the deck with him expressing his bladder so gnarly. It's like hitting the <laughs> sliding glass door. My mom's frantically running around washing all the blankies he's peed all over and it's pure chaos and then I look at his face and you know his tongue's hanging out of his mouth he's got his joker grin on like like what I did while you were gone and it was just like hilarious and you know you gotta look at the silver linings and still have fun with it Phoebe I I hate to bring up you know end of life decisions and euthanasia and so forth but truth be told this is a fatal disease potentially if something else doesn't take the life of a of a dog diagnosed with degenerative myelopathy before and I'm sure you're you're very much a realist um, even though you deflect with humor and things like that uh, I'm, I expect you've given this a lot of thought can you talk to us about maybe that line that you won't cross or how you might know when it's time to let Hugo go yeah absolutely and you know just like what Kathy was saying 
earlier about in terms of, you know, crossing lines and also navigating the emotional tolls of hitting a stage and then adjusting to the new normal, like with this new, like just last week, and we found those um, nodules on his spleen, which could potentially be cancer. And, you know, I, I have to now assess if it is cancer, you know, doing a surgery, or is it like not worth it based on like what his quality of life would look like if he would even survive that with his heart condition. And, take all those factors into it and then just also factor in Hugo and his overall health and attitude. You know, I'm so fortunate to have the care team that I do because I feel like when those decisions and those hard decisions come, I have such a support system to make an informed decision, which is really important. And, you know, for me, it's, it's all based on Hugo and where he's at and what he's willing to do. And, yeah, with Sam being able to communicate with him weekly, you know, checking in on his attitude, his exhaustion levels and everything. Like, I feel so lucky that when the time comes to have to make that call, I'll be able to do it in a very informed way, which is best I can ask for in the face of, you know, a terminal illness, among other <laughs> other stuff. I don't want people to to see that last step of euthanasia as a failure. I think it's ultimately the greatest act of humanity that we can do when when we know that our pets are struggling. So it shouldn't really be looked at, and I know Phoebe doesn't look at it like this, but I think that people feel guilt and they think it maybe it was their failure, but it's not. It's not their failure. It's it was Mother Nature's <laughs> failure with this disease. So thank you for sharing that, Phoebe. I know that that could be a tough topic to to discuss. I mean I I can't can't agree with you more, Kathy, in that like for everybody and anyone that's out there, like, please not feel guilty. Like you said, it's it's Mother Nature throwing us a, a gnarly, gnarly bone, but they let us know when they're tired and no one wants to be in pain. And you just got to kind of take all that in stride and also think of yourself like you would never want to put yourself or a loved one that can, you know, communicate with you properly, like through that if you didn't have to. And uh, one of the greatest things I can tell people is, you know, in the face of such a diagnosis, you know, don't panic, but process feel it is, you know, acknowledging that it is devastating. It is frustrating and like feel those feels, but, you know, don't let them consume you um, and take that emotion and try and channel it into finding the resources and finding, making that and channeling it into something productive for both you and your pet in whatever form that may take. Perfectly spoken, Phoebe. Thank you. Yeah. yeah so what I'm I'm hearing is kind of a theme that, that Kathy and I have tried to project in all of our, our episodes, and that's listening to your pet and, you know, being present and focusing on the, like you said, the little things, the day-to-day, -day, the positivity. And again, kind of going back to you, Phoebe, learning from Hugo and me learning from all of the the dogs that I've treated with degenerative myelopathy. It was such a perspective gaining experience and we continue to learn. I mean, he teaches me so much and I continue to learn so much about him and myself and why it's so important to slow down, appreciate the little victories and just, you know, be grateful for what these guys do for us. They're so incredible. Phoebe, I want to thank you for 
for sharing your experience. Um, I think this will be really helpful for our audience, not only those folks that are trying to learn more about degenerative myelopathy and other neurological conditions, but but just pet owners in general, because I think we can all kind of relate to this experience and we never know what kind of curveball you know, life is going to throw our way. So, you know, looking at the big picture, um, I know it's not always easy to talk about, but uh, really important content to get out there. So thank you so much. As always, we will have resources, links, et cetera, on our show notes. But one thing that folks might want to look into is there is a group called Living with Dogs with Disabilities that focuses on dogs with degenerative myelopathy and intervertebral disc disease. And it's by Sarah McKeegan, who is a physical therapist and animal rehabber. And she has Facebook lives and things, but uh, that's kind of her jam. So that's certainly another resource that I wanted to mention, living with dogs with disabilities. Phoebe, thank you for being here. It was great to talk with you. I appreciate you guys giving the platform to share our story and hopefully it, it helps people. And thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed our show. Follow us on social media at Petability Podcast. And please check out our affiliates and sponsors. Simply go to the show notes for information and links. Thank you and tune in next time.